Good morning, Connection Point Church and friends. How are y'all doing? All right, I'm excited that you're here, and we are continuing. In fact, we're closing out a series that we've been doing now for four weeks called Christmas Presents. And uh, by the way, they did a fantastic job, don't you think? I was blown away. Uh, what was her name? Kaya Asaya's Bible game on point, too. I was really impressive with that. Um, she's quoting those Bible verses. I was like, man, I'm glad that's her, not me having to remember all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we've been talking about this idea of uh, Christmas presents. And so today I want to continue this theme of the presence of God. And that really is what following Christ is all about, the presence of God. Many of us come with ideas that you know, it's really about uh, I've got to do a list of things or I've got to be a good person, all of these things, but that's not what following Christ is about. That's not what being a Christian is about. That's not even the reason we come to church. It's about being and experiencing the presence of God, and we are invited into that. But for some reason, most of us, have been, even though we've been invited into the presence of God through Christ, many of us live this uh, invitation with a fear or almost a, a reluctance to jump in. I think about uh, even this past week, we were invited to go to the zoo lights. Have you, uh, you don't know what the zoo lights are? You can go to the Dallas Zoo. Apparently, they don't have any animals anymore because we didn't see any animals, but we saw a lot of lights at the Dallas Zoo, and we told our kids, we're going to the zoo. There are going to be Christmas lights everywhere. It was incredible, and we're going to go eat pizza before that, but I'll tell you, when I told my kids this, you would have thought I had just told them you've been sentenced to prison for the rest of your life because for some reason, inviting them to something that sounded so much fun, they love pizza, there was just an atmosphere before that, oh, do we have, I mean, they were playing video games, what's more important than that? Ah, oh, do we have to, we have to go right now, can we go in, a, in there? There was just a little bit of reluctance to something that they had been invited into. And... As a pastor, it concerns me not so much when things like that, they went, they had a great time, we, as we knew they would, but it concerns me that some of us, when I, I look at, not just in this church, but people who follow Christ or, or go to church or claim to be Christians, yet they live a life of reluctance, a life missing out on the joy that, that is offered in this invitation into God's presence. And I've seen this throughout my entire life, these little opportunities where maybe I've been invited into something and I've been excited about it, but, but I'll hear a phrase, and this phrase has happened to me several times in, in big moments of my life. The phrase is, oh, I could never do that, or I would never do that. And I, I've heard this at odd times in my life. Um, one of the times I heard this was the first time I went on a mission trip to Peru. I was so excited about it, and we go every year now in this church, but I was so excited about it, and I, I had some people say, oh, I could never do that. I would never go and do that. And I said, well, we, we also shared our faith, and I was able to tell people about the hope I have in Christ, and I had people who were Christians who were following Christ and going to church to say, oh, I would never do that. I could never do that. I could never tell somebody about Jesus. You know, when we uh, adopted our, uh, our beautiful little girl who was the star of the show, if y'all didn't see her, she was the star of the show. Um, but 
When we adopted her and we had to go to Ethiopia and uh, stay there, and we had people that were supportive but would say, oh, I could never do that. I would never do that. And it just every time I would hear that, I would hear there's a reluctance into what I see as one of the biggest invitations, the biggest opportunities, the biggest adventures that God's ever invited me into, and you're missing out if you would never do that. And in fact, I was on staff at a church once, and one of the, the members of the, the deacon body came up to me because I had this, this idea that I was going to teach the uh, deacons and the church how to share their faith, and then we had an, uh, this big event at an apartment complex, and we were going to go, and we were going to, to, to share our faith and tell them about the hope they have in Jesus in this apartment complex, and, and one of the deacons reprimanded me. He said, listen, we hired you to talk about Jesus. It's your job. And when I heard that, it just it really, really hurt me because it wasn't so much that, that the, the perspective as much as they're missing out on something that is a great opportunity. If you've never had the joy of seeing somebody whose life is struggling or has no hope and you, you've told them you're forgiving, you're, you've told them that God wants to do this and invite you into a story that's bigger than yourself, if you've never had that opportunity, you've never felt what it's like to be used by God, you're missing out on something. And so my, my hope today as we talk about the presence of God, as we continue this series, is that you might realize in your life that your faith has been compartmentalized, that you kind of you go to church and maybe you have these, these aspects, but when it comes to talking about your faith, when it comes to really living out your faith, you might realize, you know what? I, I, I've kind of put that part in my pocket. I would never let these people, I would never let the people I work with or the people I go to school with or the people that, that, that kind of know me, I would never let them know what I really believe about God and what he has done for me. And, and the reason that this is a dangerous thing, I think, is because a compartmentalized faith is not a faith. It's a coping mechanism. That's something that if, if, if you just pull out your faith whenever you think you need it, if you don't live it out all the time, it's just a coping mechanism, and you'll never find joy in a coping mechanism. You'll never find joy if it's just to get you by. But when you see someone with a genuine faith of knowing what it's like to be in the presence of God, I'm telling you, you'll see something different. And so in this series, I'm just going to catch those of you who have... Uh, missed out on the last few weeks, we started off saying uh, kind of the statement for this is that God's presence meets us in the present. That is, and you may never have thought about this, the only place that you can meet, the only time you can meet God is right now. Okay? God meets with us where we are right now. But the problem with this is many of us either live our lives in the past or in the future. And what I mean by that, the first week we talked about living in the past. Many of us live a life of regret or something that we've done, and we think we could never meet God in the present because of what we've done in the past. And we live our life with this regret. We live our life with this shame of our past. And so the first week we talked about the entire reason that Jesus came. In fact, the name of the child, Emmanuel, that was prophesied was God with us. And it's not just with us here, with us now. God wants to bring you out of the past. He forgives our sins. He forgives our, and, and forgets our shame. And he brings us into the now. And so some of us here might be living in the past because of something you did. And the great news of Christmas is you're invited out of the past to meet God now. But the other part of that is some of us live in the future. 
We live as if someday I'm going to fix this in my life. Someday I'm going to get this right. Someday God's going to love this version of me. But what we talked about the second week is we talked about the fact that God isn't in love with some future version of yourself. God has already redeemed and forgiven you. And, and, and how you are right now when you meet him is who he wants to meet. And so we, we meet God in the present. And then last week we talked about how we do this. You see, God made a promise that he would give his Holy Spirit to us and that God would dwell in us. Whenever we uh, think that we're far from God, God made us a promise that the Holy Spirit will dwell in you when you place your faith in Christ. And his presence will never be far from you. And in fact, he said, though, when we, we preached last week out of the, um, the book of Luke, which is really a letter written by a, a man named Luke who was a doctor. And he wrote this letter to tell his friend the story of Jesus. And what's interesting is, every time we, we hear the Christmas story, we think it starts with Jesus, but none of the, the gospel writers, none of the, the, the writers who actually wrote this down started with Jesus. They started with a man named John. They started with Jesus' cousin. And so last week, we talked about the fact that John was kind of a prototype of what uh, a Christian would look like. And the reason we say this is because he had something that, that God had not really done any time before this. God came to John's father and he said, and we talked about this last week, your son is going to be unique. He's going to proclaim the way of God and the, the, the coming of Jesus, but he's going to have with him the Holy Spirit. From the day he is born, he is going to be born of the Spirit. And one of the things Jesus said, is that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born of, the, of water and of the Spirit. In other words, everyone who wants to see the presence of God has to have the Holy Spirit. And that's the gift that we talked about last week, that God gave this gift to us of the Holy Spirit. But what we didn't talk about last week was what happens after this, this angel comes to Zechariah, John's father, and says, Zechariah, you're going to have this child. He's going to be great. He's going to have the Holy Spirit. This is going to happen. We didn't talk about the reaction of Zechariah. And so today I just want to talk about the reaction of Zechariah. And where I'm going with this, by the way, is my hope is as we end this sermon, in fact, we're leading into everyone's favorite thing, an offering, right? You get to hear a sermon and an offering. That's a good church service. Uh, the kids were just the bonus. This is the meat, right? Yeah, I know that's not true. Um, <laughs> My hope, though, is that as we get to this offering, you'll be anticipating I'm invited into something. That's where I hope that we get with this. Because when we see Zechariah, Zechariah reminds me of every man. He reminds me of myself, and he reminds me of many Christ followers that I've known. This is what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, and remember, the angel has just told him, You're going to have a son, you're going to name him John, you're going to do this and that, he's going to be this and that, he's going to be awesome. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife, <laughs> she's advancing in years. And he says this statement. And this statement is very telling. Uh, and the reaction that Zechariah has to an angel telling him this is very, very telling about where he is in relationship to God. Now, I say this because... Zechariah is not the first one to encounter an angel saying that Jesus is going to be born. Uh, Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, also experiences this. And, and she also has a question. Her question is, how can this be? But there's a difference between the way they react. 
she asked, she's a, a young girl, a virgin, and she asked, how can this be that I'm going to have a child? Which is a logical question. But, but this question that Zechariah is not, how can this be? It, it's, it's how shall I know this? And, and there's a, a, a spirit of disbelief in this. Mary is, okay, I'm, I'm in. How are we going to do this, though? Because, uh, you know, I don't fulfill the requirements of most mothers. I, I, I'm still a virgin. And so it's a, it's a kind of a, what's the process here? Whereas Zechariah is one of doubt, one of, I don't think this is real. And we know this because of the angel's reaction, but I just want to get into Zechariah's background a little bit. He's a priest, which means he's serving God all day. Okay? That's his job. He's getting paid for it. He had no children, but he wanted children. And we know this because in verse 13 it tells us that he had been praying for children. He wanted to have children, and yet his wife was now advanced in years. He was getting older, and so that time had kind of passed. And so he doesn't expect a child, and he finds himself in a place where many of us, maybe even in this room, have found. And that is, he found himself working for God without God. He found himself doing things because it's expected of religious people, doing things because this is how we have to do it, and maybe that's your attitude this Christmas, I'm doing this, but he was doing it without God. And this is a dangerous, dangerous place for anyone who's trying to find God to be. And so, you got to think about this. You've been praying and praying for years and years and years for a child, and, and you've been telling your wife it's going to be okay. I know God is here. He's going to hear our prayer. It's going to be okay. But in his mind at some point, it might have been day 10. It might have been day 110. It might have been day 1010. We don't know. But it, one day, his, a little switch went off in Zechariah, and it was quit, he quit praying with, um, with the expectancy that this is going to happen. And at some point, it just became a routine, something that he did. Hey, all right, let's say up our prayers. No, honey, it's, I'm sure God's going to hear our prayer. I'm sure it's going to happen. And at some point, he started praying prayers with no expectation of God to move. He needed and wanted a miracle. And at some point in his life, his, his faith was to the point where he was like, honey, you know, maybe we'll have to, to move on. And I think there's something great with, with the acceptance of, hey, we're going to follow God with or without. That's what um, we see some, some powerful faith moments in the Old Testament. There's, there's three guys that, that, that make this claim to the king of Babylon. They say, hey, our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. We will follow him. There's powerful thing when you say, you know what, I'm going to follow God no matter what. But there's a dangerous thing when you go through the motions of, oh yeah, we're going to follow God, but you let your heart leave. And that's what happened, I believe, to Zechariah. He's talking to his wife about the presence of God, but in his heart, the presence of God has left. He's, he's, he's nowhere near there. And so the angel sees this, and the angel recognizes the dangerous moment, and the, and the response of the angel is this. It says, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you, and I bring you this good news. And I want to point out not one word of what Gabriel says is wasted. Now, it seems kind of uh, self-serving when you start off and you stand and you just picture this angel. I am Gabriel. But I want to tell you, it's not self-serving. What's going on here is Gabriel is only one of two angels who are actually named in the Bible. It's very unusual. 
Revelation uh, chapter 8 tells us that there are seven angels that, that stand in the presence of God. The rest of them uh, don't normally stand in the presence of God, I guess. But Revelation 8 says there are, five, uh, there are seven angels that stand in the presence of God, and we know who two of them are. One of them's name is Michael. We learn this from the book of Daniel. And we also know that one of them's name is Gabriel. Okay, And so when he says, I am Gabriel, this would immediately be to a priest, hey, this is a big deal. This is not just you know, some random angel. This is not just a dream. This is someone who has been in the presence of God. This is someone speaking with the authority, not of, hey, I want to kind of tell you what God said. No, no, no. He's going to say the words that God told him to say. So the first thing I, w- I want you to just see about this is, is that he, he has been in the presence of God, and, and, and saying, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, is a big deal. In fact, if we're going to emulate anyone in the Christmas story, obviously Jesus would be number one. Uh, we would say number two would be Gabriel, because Gabriel does exactly what someone who's been in the presence of God does. The first thing, or the second thing he does after saying, hey, I've been in God's presence, is he, his, he says, I was sent. I've been in the God's, God's presence, and, I, can't, and I, I do whatever he wants, and I was sent. And you need to understand as a Christ follower, Anyone who, who, who claims to have the Holy Spirit, anyone who claims to be walking with God is sent. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, as, as God is sending me, so I send you. He said that to every one of his followers. He said, we are sent. And so Gabriel says, I, I have stood in the presence of God. I have been sent here to tell you the good news. And that's the other thing. Is it's one thing to declare the good news when your heart has left God, which is what Zechariah had been doing every day. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go serve God. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to go do these things. But his heart knew, man, I don't think God's going to show up today. I don't think there's anything going on today. But, but Gabriel, Gabriel came from the presence of God. And Gabriel, he says, hey, I'm sent, but I also want to know, I was sent to tell you the good news. The good news, we all know, we talk about this every week in this church, is that God is up to something. He's inviting you into the presence of God. The gospel is the presence of God. You understand that the gospel is God, is that you get God back, that God has returned. But the way it's happening is, is an exciting news, but you've got to understand from Gabriel's perspective, all of these things that Zechariah's thinking make no difference. It doesn't matter if you've given up on God. I've been in his presence. I know what he can do. It doesn't matter if you think that this dream is dead. I've seen God raise the dead. In fact, Gabriel once saw uh, the prophet uh, uh, Ezekiel say to to dry bones, hey, get up and live, and these bones walked. So, So he's someone who's been in the presence of God. He knows what God can do, and he knows the promises of God. He's lived the promises of God. Not only has he been in the, 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 the presence of God, he knows that God promised a resurrection. And we all talk about, oh yeah, there's going to be a resurrection. And yes, so-and-so passed away, and I'm sure they're, they're, they're happy in heaven. But we don't understand what God said. God said there's going to be a physical resurrection. Do you understand that? That we, we get a spiritual body, and we don't know, understand all the language, but it was a, the promise that we are given is a new heaven and a new earth, physical resurrection. Which means, when you lose hope because you lost a loved one, whether it was a child or a mother or a father, and you're thinking about a Christmas without them, I want you to understand, the promise of Christmas is that you will physically hold their hand. Not that some spirit, will, this aura, will somehow connect with them. You will physically hold their hand again. The promises are so much better than anything we understand. And Gabriel knows this. 
Gabriel doesn't come in to, to talk with Zechariah and say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's, listen, I've seen, I've been there, I've been in the presence of God. There's almost this anticipation, this excitement of, listen, I've, I've been there, and I'm inviting you in, Zechariah, and for some reason you didn't believe. And this is where I want to go today. Because some of us, I think, are Zechariah. Some of us, we say we have hope. We say we're praying for things. But in our, li- in, in our, in our heart, we know the presence of God is not, we're not expecting him to move. We're not expecting these promises to really happen. We're, we're not praying with this, this could happen any day. Any day an angel could show up and give me a child. We're not praying with that expectancy. And so look at the punishment that the angel gives Zechariah. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. Imagine this punishment of Zechariah, who's been doubting and doubting. I don't even think that that God exists. I'm not even sure he's even moving anymore. And all of a sudden, you get this glimpse by this angel who's been, and this angel's excited. You don't understand. A child's coming, and God's about to reconcile the world, and everyone who's ever been far from him is going to be brought near to him, and I've seen him. I've been in the presence. And by the way, you can't talk about it. You can't go tell your wife that she's about to have this child. You can't confirm this to her. You have to just sit there and experience the presence of God, and you're going to get to be a part. You're going to get to see miracles. You're going to get to, to know now that God is moving in you, Zechariah, but you can't tell anyone. And this punishment for Zechariah what was obviously one. As soon as Zechariah's punishment is lifted in the, and he has his son, by the way, he has a song written. And if you read in the next chapter, he just goes into a song. Like he's had this song that he wanted to tell people for months and months, and he couldn't get it out because... He couldn't tell anyone. And all I want to do is ask you about your faith. You know, a lot of times when we do an offering or we tell you you should be sharing your faith, you need to tell people about Jesus, we think about it from their perspective. Hey, the world needs this. Hey, you need to give to missions, and we're about to do our missions offering. You need to give because these kids need this, and these these people need this over there. But that's not the reason I want us to give. It's not the reason I want you to share your faith. The reason I want you to share your faith is I want you to think about what it would be. What would it take in your life for you to get to a point where it would be a punishment for somebody to say you cannot talk about what God is doing in your life? What what would your life have to look like for you to have so many blessings that if if somebody were to say you cannot talk about it, you cannot give to this offering, you cannot participate, you're going to be invited in, but right now you got to wait. And you're like a kid at Christmas, and you're like, I can't wait. What would it take in your life for you to be at that point? That's what excites me about the opportunity we have to give or to share our faith. Or anytime God calls us to something hard is because it, 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 it creates in you this person who has to become someone who experiences God and, and, and listens to the presence of God in a way that you, I know God is here with me. And that's my hope for you. (laughs) That's my hope for you. My hope is not that we give so much money or that you go and share and, and, and tell all these people. That's great. My hope, though, is that something happens to you this Christmas, in this season, 
where you begin to see so much of what God is doing in your own life. You get so excited about the fact maybe you've been living in the past or you're living in the future. Someday I'll be good enough, but I'm not yet. And, and, and for some reason, God draws you into the presence and say, says, I'm here for you now. I, forget, I forgave your past, and I've already forgiven your future. I want to meet with you now. And it gets so exciting to you. You say, I cannot help but tell. What would it take for shutting your mouth and shutting your wallet to be a punishment? So here's what I want to do. I want to go straight into our offering today, okay? And, and what we're going to do is I, I simply, this offering is a little different, though. Now, you can still give to our general offering, but this is going to be our special Christmas offering, and we do this every year. We pick something. And in this church, we're meeting in a school, and we know that uh, in the coming year, 2020, we're going to be, uh, again, uh, focusing on a building campaign and all these things. And so as we thought about what are we going to, to give our Christmas offering to, a special offering, what could we give that to, we decided, you know, we know the time is coming for a building and for these things, but instead, what if we just gave to our mission partners? And we have four mission partners specifically that we're going to give to. But rather than just say, hey, I want you to give, I want to draw you into why I love these ministries. And I just want to tell you a little bit about them before we pass the offerings and before you. Uh, and my hope is that part of you says, you know what? Either I'm going to give to the offering or, you know what, I'm just going to give straight to that ministry. I don't, if that's what happens, then. But we're going to give this to our, our, we're, this is going to go towards our missions program for 2020. The first, uh, the first one is uh, the Crouch family in Thailand. Now, I went to college, and, and one of the people that, sh that shaped my faith, faith the most in college was a man named Vendan Crouch. He's Cambodian. He's uh, just an awesome guy. And in 2010, he, he came and spoke at this church 10 years ago. And he said, I, I'm going to Cambodia. I'm going to be a part of this. And at the time, we were a brand new church. We had no money. And I said, we're going to pray for you. And when we get to a point where we can invest in you more, we're going to do that. And so a few years ago, we got to the point where we said, Van Den, we want to invest in you. And they had actually come back to the States. And he said, okay, that's good because we're going to Thailand. He said, I've never been to Thailand, but we're going to go live in Thailand. And we're going to, they're working as teachers, him and his family. And what they do is anytime any Christian missionaries from different organizations come, they will uh, plug them in to various opportunities. They get them connected to the right place, and they serve 13 countries around Thailand. And they're kind of the uh, hub in, in their teaching ministry. They also have students that have never heard the gospel that they invite to Bible study and to Christmas celebrations, and they can't evangelize. So what they do is they live it out themselves, and they just invite people over to come and watch them live it out. It's a very exciting uh, ministry that the Crouches are a part of. The next one uh, I want to talk about is Peru. In 2012, we uh, started going to Peru, and we've been all over Peru. But this past year, we went to a city called Arequipa, Peru. And Arequipa, when I got there uh, with our team, we had about 13 people that went in July. Uh, I was walking around with a pastor in a place called uh, Ciudad de Dios, uh, City of God. And he said, this is where, Arequipa is where pastors come to die. In other words, the ministry here just seems to die. There seems to be a darkness over this city. And so... I asked him about the other churches, and he really didn't know anything else about what God was doing. All he knew is it was dark in his area, and that he really every day was discouraged more and more. So we 
united some pastors and we just called all and there was some excitement because these uh, North Americans were coming and so we, we united and just started talking. We met this uh, pastor named Jorge Estevez and Jorge is a go-getter and so we decided when we came back we were going to send another team and we sent another team and four people went in October. And what's exciting is they found that the churches we had helped start were still meeting. In fact, some of them had grown. And that they found that some of these pastors who had never known each other would gather together. And Joey told a great story a few uh, weeks ago about how one of the pastors, when they first started meeting on that second trip, that the pastors weren't talking and they didn't know each other. But by the end, they had, they had started intermingling. And, and the end of that second trip, the end of that week, they, they, they started talking to one another. I want to just read an excerpt of an email Pastor Jorge sent me. He said, every Tuesday now, we are meeting as pastors to pray for our lives as an, um, and for the lives of those in our nation. It is wonderful because it has been very hard to get our pastors together because of our different denominations. My Christian brother Gamaliel, who was a missionary that Joey uh, and them found uh, on the, uh, their last trip, he is a passionate man and he is for the church and he is free from the denominational practices. He has become a great friend to us. Please encourage your team to continue to support us and let us know when you're coming back. It's very exciting to know. We're actually hoping to do three trips in the upcoming year. Uh, the next uh, partner we have is the Solid Rock Church, Samson Mall. Now, this is one of the, to me personally, one of the most exciting stories we have in this church because I was sitting in Starbucks uh, in Murphy, right, right down the road, and this Indian man came in, and I actually have uh, uh, made a few friends there, and I was talking to him, and I found that he was a missionary from a church right down the road, but he, he was trying to become a missionary in India, which he was where he was from. In fact, he lives six months in India and six months in the United States, and he said, I'm just looking for partners, and I said, hey, well, well send me an email. Let's, get, let's start talking. This was about 2012 or so, and since uh, 2012, I've just been in contact, and I never promised him any money or anything. Like I said, hey, just let us know what you're doing. And he, he would come back with these pictures of these churches he was starting and this movement he was doing, and it was so exciting. And so we started saying, hey, well, maybe we can do like a, a coat drive. And so we did a coat drive for him. And, and a month later, he sent us these pictures of all these kids wearing the coats that we had sent, and they, he even had, was holding up the label that, uh, that we had put on the boxes so he would know it was ours, and he said, this is what you've done. And so a few years ago, we entered into a financial partnership to where we started giving out of our general budget towards uh, Solid Rock. Since we have started giving to them, and, and this credit goes to Sampson and their ministry, not us, but since we've partnered with them, God has exploded their ministry on many fronts. They now have four physical locations. And in fact, this is, he sent me a long list of what God is doing, but I'll just read a couple of what he said. He said, uh, there's a new village about 15 kilometers from our Nazet Nagar church. And we started Sunday services six months ago, and 64 uh, Christian families are now attending that church. And he says that we have raised up 15 elders and we have prayed for $15,000 to be able to purchase land. And he told me last week this money has been received, that churches, that he's had several partners. And so they're breaking ground on a new church building already. And then he's, uh, he's training. Right now they've got six new pastors that they send in these home churches and they send in to move. He's got six um, pastors right now and they hope to, to have even more in the coming uh, 
year. There's a new ministry that he found out in the Himachal state. And there are, it's about 150 kilometers, which who knows how many miles. There's no way we could possibly know that, right? Um, <laughs> speaking a foreign language to me now. But in a house that's 20 by 15, there's 40 new believers who are not allowed to talk about their faith. It's where they are. It is illegal to, to convert to Christianity in this. And so there's, a, there's a, a church that's underground that he is going to help take over and, and, and help them grow and resource them because in his state, it's not illegal, but in this state, it is illegal. And so uh, he sent me several other stories as well. And so we're going to continue to fund them. And in fact, our hope was, might even be to send some, maybe one or two people to kind of uh, give us the stories on the ground in 2020. The last one that I want to tell you about is very dear to me. It's hope for the fatherless. Now, I, I told y'all earlier that I've adopted a girl from Ethiopia. And as soon as we brought her back, we got some disturbing news. And that is, is that uh, although there are millions of orphans in Ethiopia that the international um, adoption was shut down and no longer could anyone outside of the country of Ethiopia adopt a child. And this is a, a dangerous thing because in Ethiopia, adoption is not looked on favorably because there's been uh, years and years and there's been a history of using adoption as a political tool. tool. And so now all of a sudden, I thought about children just like my daughter that were going to be stuck forever in an institution. And in the process of adopting, I was connected with a man named Balai. And Balai, uh, or Uncle Ben as they call him in his, uh, uh, in his work, is one of the most incredible men I've ever uh, met. He's spoken at our church every year since I met him, and he's coming back, in fact, in May to speak again. Belai uh, has started children's homes on his own, and he said, listen, if we can't uh, um, do adoptions internationally, then I'm going to take care of as many kids as I can, and I'm going to teach this country to love adoption. I'm going to teach these people to love these children. And so he, he has started going to churches, and he's actually now been granted favor with the president and the minister of women and children in Ethiopia. And he's begun to, to kind of cast vision of what if we adopted these children ourselves. And God put it on my heart as soon as I met him that we have got to be a part of this so that these children will be. And I, I just want to tell you some stories about Belai because what we are supporting in, in, with them is one of the most unique things I want to show you a picture, and it might be a little unsettling. This is a, a, a child named Tadeg, okay? Tadeg was, uh, I got an email in uh, July from Belai, just to, to me personally. He said, I just want you to pray. He said, uh, I was uh, walking through the state orphanages. This, this, whenever he's downcast, he'll walk through the orphanage. And he said, and I found this child, and this child right here, his name is Tadeg uh, in July. And he said, I saw this child, and I asked, why does this child not have a stent? This, this could be cured. This could have been uh, stopped. And they, uh, the, the orphanage said, we don't have any stents in this country. But I got on the phone at the moment, and he made a phone call, and within two or three days, he had a stent and a hospital ready to put it in. And he came back, and the child still did not have a stent. And he said, well, what happened? And they said, listen, we couldn't get the stent in yet. The, the doctors haven't had time in. They gave excuses. 
And so Belai said, okay, we're going to stay in this hospital. And he, he said, we're going, not going to leave this hospital until this child is taken care of. And they got the stent in. In fact, they found another hospital that, that did it for free. He's a go-getter, I'm telling you. And uh, he sent me a, uh, this, uh, the first email he sent me, he sent me because he said the, the, the reaction to this child was, it's better off if this child dies. That's why he, he decided to stay there. It's better off if this child dies. But instead, he said, we're going to love this child. And this child passed away two weeks, uh, two weeks after that. But Belai said, we're going to at least love this child. When he knew as soon as the stint get, didn't get put in that this child was going to die. And he said, we're going to love this child with dignity. You know, just a few, you can follow Hope for the, Hope for the Fatherless on Instagram. And just a, a few weeks ago, and, um, there was another child, baby M., stands for Maranatha, which in Hebrew means our Lord come. And baby M uh, has had, uh, when they had gotten baby M, uh, she had had her feet already amputated. She was uh, struggling, but uh, this little precious baby uh, got pneumonia. And we had been praying for a month and, and baby M just passed away a few, uh, week, uh, a few days ago. One of the things I love about what Belai is doing is that he's taking kids that no one would take. And in fact, the next house they're trying to open up is going to be just for special need kids, which are abandoned in Ethiopia. Here's my vision for this church. We're going to actually partner with Hope for the Fatherless. We're doing our first 5K in May. We have no idea. There are a lot of details that have to come together, but we're going to try to raise enough money through this offering and through that 5K to fund this new home for a year and staff it so that these kids who who have been abandoned and forgotten are going to have hope. And so when I tell you about this offering, my hope is not to guilt you. My hope is that if you were to be silenced or if you were to be told you can't participate, you would see that as a punishment. How exciting is it that we are invited in this little church, and, and we're having a, a great day. This church is not a huge church, but to have an impact all over through our mission partners is the most exciting part of being, this, of being a pastor. And so what we're going to do right now is I'm just going to say a prayer, and then we're going to have uh, the musical keep playing. And we're going to have a time of prayer, and the offering is going to come by. And you can also give online, connectionpoint.life. You can go and find the give card, and you can give to the Christmas offering. You can give all the way through the beginning of the year. Um, but I hope as, uh, as the offering baskets go by that you'll take some time also to pray for these people. Pray for these ministries and pray that God is going to do something awesome, not just through them, but through us this year. So let's pray and prepare our hearts to give. Lord, I thank you so much for the blessings, the protection, the provision, all the things you've done for us in this church that are here today. Lord, it's really easy for us to think that you've abandoned us and forget the miracles we see every day, but I pray today we are encouraged, and I pray that we open our eyes to all that you are doing and that we have been invited in, that our past has been forgiven, our future has been forgiven. When in this moment, we're invited in to just be a part of what you are doing. And Lord, I pray if our hearts aren't there, if we're not there yet, I pray you'll begin to do something in our lives supernatural. And we'll begin to live out and see, you know what, I've been in the presence of God. If I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior, I've been, I've been invited into the presence of God. 
Lord, I pray as people who have been in the presence of God that we must recognize we are sent to share good news any way possible. So Lord, I pray that in this room, every one of us are gonna be inspired to live lives as if we've been in the presence of God. We pray that you'll take this offering and you will bless it so that these ministries will have so much of an impact this year, Lord. We pray for adoption to skyrocket in Ethiopia. We pray for the missionaries in Peru and the pastors in Peru and the missionaries in Thailand and in India. Lord, we pray that this year is going to be a year in which you do things we can't even describe. So Lord, please multiply this offering as we give to you as an act of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray.